notice that the Christmas carols are some really of the deeper, more theological songs that we sing throughout the year, and they are just a blessing to my life. And boy, I tell you what, oh, Ethan, he, he sung on that choir song, didn't he? Wow, thank you, brother. Thank you, choir. That uh, song sort of had the Baptist bop in it a little bit, didn't it? I found myself down there kind of going like this a little bit. Looking forward to uh, a couple of Sundays. Looking forward to next Sunday. What a wonderful time we'll have together as the children lead us next Sunday night. Looking forward to that. And then the 17th, I shared with you a little bit of a challenge from my heart this morning. We want to see a lot of people here the evening of the 17th, not to boast or brag about a crowd, but we want people here to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus as the music ministry here at Bible Baptist Church presents it that night. So be thinking and praying about those you're going to reach out to, and uh, we'll do our best. We, we won't fail because of a lack of effort. Amen? Amen. We're going to do our best to see uh, a wonderful church full of people that particular night. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me tonight to the book of James, the book of James. James is one of those sort of hidden books in the New Testament. If you have trouble getting to it, go to the back of the book, find Revelation, Jude, the three epistles of John, the two epistles of Peter, and then right before those would be the book of James. As you're turning to James and finding chapter 3, let me just remind you who's writing this. This is James, who is the earthly brother of our Savior Jesus. James, at this particular time, is the leader, the human leader, the under-shepherd of Jesus Christ for the Baptist church there in Jerusalem. And James is being used in a mighty way by God not only in his ministry there, but in this particular letter of Scripture. By the way, when you read this, uh, it's, it predates all the other books of the New Testament. Now, the chronology of it historically, obviously the life of Christ and all of that comes before the book of Acts and then into the epistles. But as far as the one that was written first, there's a lot of good evidence that tells us the book of James was actually the very first writing that became a part of our New Testament. And the book of James is a book of the Bible that just every now and then, as believers, we just need to read it because it gets under the surface of our normal, everyday thinking and really gets down to talking about some things that we need to hear. The book of James is all about living out your faith. You know, faith, we talk much about faith, but faith is not just something that's pie in the sky that hangs out in the abstract, but faith is something that is real. The writer of Hebrews says that Faith is the evidence of the things we hope for. It's the substance of things that are unseen, and so it's a real thing. And, and James would tell us here in this letter that a lot of people can talk about faith, but he says those who really are guided by their faith show their faith or demonstrate their faith by what, church? By their works. And here in James chapter 3, James really gets uh, down to an area where each and every one of us live because all of us talk. Some of us talk more than others, but all of us talk. And one of the things I've noticed that in this particular time of the year, the Christmas season, we get pretty hectic in our schedules. As a matter of fact, Amy and I talked last night about this coming week. We have to be in an event tomorrow night, an event on Tuesday night, and then Friday night we have to be at another one. And so we're getting into that hectic time in the Christmas season. And so 
you get into the middle of all that planning and all that doing and all that going, sometimes you can say things that you ought not say. Never me. But you, (laughs) sometimes we all can say things that we ought not say. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about taming the terrible tongue. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. Would you read with me down through the end of verse 12? James 3, beginning in verse 2. We'll read down through verse 12. The Word of the Lord says, For in many things we offend all. If a man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Now stop there for a moment. I want to make a brief comment on that verse before we read the rest of these tonight. I want you to know that when James uses the word that's translated there as perfect, he's not talking about sinless perfection. He's not talking about arriving at a point in your spiritual life, this side of glorification, when you're perfect. In other words, you don't make mistakes and you don't sin. That's not what he's saying there. He's talking about arriving at a place of spiritual maturity. So when he uses or when that word perfect shows up in the King James translation, really it's talking about maturity, this person who, who is good with their words and doesn't offend other people with their words. What James is saying here, that person is spiritually mature. Look at verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships which... Though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm or a rudder, whithersoever the governor listeth, wherever the pilot of that ship wants it to go, it's that little rudder that can turn that great big ship. In verse 5 he says, Even so the tongue is a little member, And boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue, no man, can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing my brethren. These things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can... No fountain, both yield salt water and fresh. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for your word. And Father, even though sometimes it's difficult for us to read your word because it gets down to the very place where we live, Father, it's a very needed thing. I shudder to imagine what my life would be like without direction from your word. Father, the same is true for all of us. Were it not for your word, for your perfect revelation of yourself and your expectations for us, Father, we would live terrible lives 
in our society would be worse than it is. And I pray, Father, that tonight we would receive your word. Father, as James also writes, may we be like those who look in a mirror, but may we not be like the one who looks and then forgets his image. Father, if we see ourselves in the mirror of your word, I pray, Lord, that we would offer those areas of our lives that are not conducive to you and to your will to you tonight and ask you, Father, to help us clean those areas up by the abiding presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to be people with good speech patterns, I pray now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and amen. As I said a moment ago, often the book of James gets overlooked because people, frankly, don't want to hear it. You may be familiar with one of the great church reformers in church history by the name of Martin Luther. Luther struggled himself with the book of James. In fact, he once wrote that the book of James was a right, strawy epistle. What he meant by that was it was hard to chew on. It was strawy. It didn't taste good when he approached the Word of God. And so sometimes that's true for each and every one of us, especially when it comes to an area like James discusses here in chapter 3. I want you to see that here in James chapter 3, James gives us a pretty good indication of who might just be the meanest member of Bible Baptist Church. Now, I've been here with you for a little while, but I've been here with you long enough that I have formed an opinion. And my opinion is correct. I have figured out the very meanest member of this beautiful Baptist church. And I'm going to call out that meanest member by name tonight. Is that okay? The meanest member of this church has killed more friendships, ruined more reputations cause more division than any other member. The meanest member of this church is concealed like a sniper. The meanest member of this church has something within him or her that's as quick as a bullet and deadly as a cocked gun. Are you ready for it? The meanest member of this church is that three-inch little animal that lives in a pool of saliva behind an ivory cage of teeth. The meanest member of Bible Baptist Church and the meanest member of any church anywhere is that three-inch little animal that we call the tongue. I want you to notice that James here talks about the great need or taming what I call the terrible tongue. And I want you to see from the outset that James is not just talking about our oral speech. It could be what you write. In fact, you know, we we used to sing that little Sunday school song, Be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little tongue, what you say. If we were writing that song in 2023, we might put this verse in it. Be careful, little thumbs, what you tweet. Or be careful, little fingers, what you type onto Facebook. Or be careful, little hands, what you send out as an email because our speech... And that's what James is talking about here, again, is more than what I might just say to you that you can listen with your ears and hear, but it might be what you can read. I want you to look again at what the text says in verse 2. Anyone who doesn't stumble in what he or she says, that person, as I pointed out earlier, is a spiritually mature person, or as James says, he is the perfect man. So here's a word to all the single ladies. I don't know if we've got any out here tonight, but if you're looking for the perfect man, James identifies that perfect man here. 
Or if a man's out there looking for a lady, James identifies the perfect one here. It is that person who's very careful with what they say, whether it's in an oral word or a written word. Now, who was the perfect man? Yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what Peter writes about Jesus? I just want you to listen to this. Peter writes, you'll find this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He says that Jesus committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. In other words, Jesus never said the wrong thing. If we want to be like Jesus, the perfect man, then we would do well to take a look at how we talk to one another and how we relate to one another in the spoken or the written word. You've always heard big things can come in small packages. And that is so true when it comes to the tongue. I want you to notice that James uses some illustrations here. James was a good preacher, and so he knew how to use illustrations to talk about how small, yet at the same time, how powerful the tongue can be. Notice that he compares it in verse 3 to a bit that you would place in a horse's mouth. Pretty impressive when you think about it. Here's this great big horse, but that horse can be trained and a little bitty metal bit can be placed in that horse's mouth and then the rider can jump on the horse and can direct it wherever he wants to go because of one small thing that's placed in that horse's mouth. And then in verse 4, he compares the tongue to the rudder of a ship. Now, if you've ever been on a great ship, maybe out in the Caribbean on a cruise or something like that, it's really amazing that when you take into consideration that great vessel, that big ship, that big boat, how relatively small the mechanism is that can turn that boat one way or the other. Now, it takes a while if you're On a big ship like that, it takes a while for it to turn, but the mechanism that turns that great ship is relatively small compared to the mass of that ship. And so James says that our tongue is like that. It's like the bit that you put in the mouth of a horse. It's like the rudder on a ship. He says in verse 5, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So if the tongue is a small member of our bodies, but yet it can boast great things, we need to learn how to control our tongues. We need to learn how not to have a terrible tongue. So I want to ask two questions, and then we'll allow this text tonight to answer each of those. My first question is this. Why should the terrible tongue be tamed. Some people don't want that. You ever been around one of those persons that said it like this? Well, if I think it, I say it. I've been around a few of those people. May I tell you tonight, they think too much. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. And sometimes, frankly, many of us can be like that. If I think it, I say it, well, that can get you into a whole lot of trouble. One of the things I've tried to learn to do in my life, in my ministry, as I'm still a young preacher, but as I mature more and more, I try to think before I speak. I really do. Because there were too many moments in my earlier life when I got myself in a whole lot of trouble because I said what I thought. So some people don't want to do it. They just want to blurt it out. If it comes across their mind, they simply want to say it. But my friend, if that's you, you need to be careful with that attitude. Because the things that enter your mind are not always good things. They're not always justified. They're not always profitable. 
And when that happens, you ought not say it. So why should we tame the terrible tongue? Well, number one, because it's diabolical. By that I mean it's just flat out evil. An untamed tongue is unmitigated evil. It's diabolical outwardly. It can be very evil toward other people. Did you notice in verse 6 that James likens the tongue to fire? I uh, was down last week during the Thanksgiving holiday in Pigeon Forge. Now, dealing with the traffic in Pigeon Forge can cause you to say some unchristian things. And we were in the midst of all that. My wife and my sister and others wanted to do a little bit of shopping. And we went down to a certain place. And in that certain place was the hot sauce store. Have you been to the hot sauce store? Be careful when you go into the hot sauce store because some of those hot sauces don't have very appropriate names. But I looked up in one of the shelves, and one of those bottles reminds me just exactly of what James writes here because the name of that hot sauce was Tongue Torch. I didn't try Tongue Torch that particular day because my tongue, frankly, can be torchy enough. And that's what James is saying here. If we're not careful, if we're allowing our tongues to go unchecked, then our tongues are like fire. He says, not just any fire, but in the King James translation, he says the fire of hell. In the Greek there in verse 6, the word that's translated as hell is the term Gehenna. And if you've studied anything about the area around Jerusalem, studying the valley of Gehenna is troubling, but at the same time interesting. When you look at old city Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, that valley that separates the Mount of Olives from the Temple Mount and all of that is a beautiful valley. But when you begin to walk your way down that valley toward the north side of the city and then turn in and go the other direction, you're walking from one valley to the next and that valley you enter in is the Gehenna Valley. And you can look it up in the Old Testament, in the Valley of Gehenna, that's where they used to burn things. That was the fire pit for ancient Israel. And so they would take their trash and their rubbish and even dead bodies that no one claimed out there to the valley of Gehenna. And that's where they would burn those things. In the Old Testament, Scripture talks about a particular time in the history of ancient Israel when they fell into the worship of the Canaanite god Moloch. And they literally, some of the people there in Jerusalem, sacrificed their own children and burned their children in the valley of Gehenna. And so for many, many years, it was a fire pit that continued to burn and continued to burn. And you can imagine the stench and the terribleness of the Gehenna Valley. And that's exactly what the Bible is calling your tongue if you don't allow God to rein it in. It's a tongue that's set on fire by the fire of hell. So the tongue is a torch, and it's an amazing thing how one little spark can set ablaze a whole fire. When I was a young man, there was a song that was popular through my later childhood and early teenage days in the church. And it was actually a song about evangelism. And we used to sing it, It only takes a spark to get a fire going. Some of you may remember that old song. And that's true in regard to evangelism. You know, if one person gets on fire for the Lord in a church and starts winning people to Christ, it's an amazing thing how that one spark 
can get a whole lot of people involved in evangelism, but it's also true when it comes to our patterns of language and the things we say. Just one little misguided word, one little evil word that comes out of our tongue can set ablaze a whole fellowship. Those of you that like American history, you may have studied the old Chicago fire. It happened in 1871. On October the 8th of that year, there was a Mrs. O'Leary that had a cow back behind her house. And one cool morning, she went back there to milk this old cow, and she took out to, to the milking stall a lantern. Well, any of, how many of you have ever milked a cow? I'm just curious. Me too. Uh, that's our younger generation maybe milking a cow every now and then and slopping a hog here and there. It might help them a little bit. But you know, every now and then you get a hold of a cow and if she's getting older and cantankerous, she may not want to be milked. And evidently that was the case on October the 8th in 1871, because as Mrs. O'Leary began to milk that cow, the cow didn't like it, and she started to kick and started to move in the stall, and ultimately she kicked over that little lantern that started a fire in just a few fractions of, uh, of a few moments. All of a sudden that barn was on fire, And then it spread from that barn to place to place. And ultimately, in today's dollars, it's an amazing thing what happened in the 1871 Chicago fire. Billions and billions of dollars worth of buildings were burned to the ground. Did you know that 300 people died in the Chicago fire of 1871? And all because one cow kicked over one lantern, and that little spark nearly burnt down the Chicago, Illinois city. I wonder tonight how many friendships have been ruined because of one little spark that came from one tongue. How many communities have been set on fire culturally because a group of people got together and started gossiping and said the wrong things? How many lives have been hurt to the bone because somebody got on Facebook and wrote something that should have never been written? How many churches have been hurt and hurt deeply because of the spark that's been spewed out by one evil tongue? The Bible says in Proverbs sixteen twenty seven that an ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. So why why should we tame the terrible tongue? Because it's diabolical. It hurts people. It sets communities and sometimes churches and a lot of families on fire. James not only likens the tongue to fire, the fire of hell or Gehenna, He says in verse 8 that the tongue is also full of deadly poison. Did you know that the tongue can kill? The Bible says in Proverbs 18 verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. In other words, if you're not careful, the tongue can be a murderer. It can murder or assassinate another person's reputation or character in just the blink of an eye. It can kill somebody's reputation in just a simple sentence. You know, thinking about the tongue being poisonous, it reminds me, and some of you probably know some of these stories, about Winston Churchill and Lady Astor. Have you ever read any of those stories? You know who Churchill was? Churchill of course, was prime minister or became the prime minister of England, a tough guy, good politician, and he helped steer England the right direction after Chamberlain in World War II. And then you have later Lady Astor, 
who was actually an American-born lady that moved over to Great Britain and she became a socialite and ended up in the Britain Parliament. And historians tell us that there was always this dig after dig between Lady Astor and Winston Churchill. They would always go at it with one another. And a lot of people like to stand back and listen as they would go after one another. Well, they had to go to a big dinner one night, and the person that arranged the seating at the dinner probably did it on purpose, but as it were, Lady Astor was on one side of the table, and just across of it, nose to nose, eye to eye with her, was Winston Churchill. And they went back and forth all night long to the place that Lady Astor finally said something like this, Sir, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your tea. Can you imagine that? If you were my husband, I would put poison in your tea. Well, everybody just listened because they knew Churchill would have a reply. And here's what he said. He said, Lady Astor, if you were my wife, I'd gladly drink it. Now, we can laugh about things like that, but words and the way we often go at one another, and I'm talking about the people we love the most, your wife, your husband, your children, your siblings, the things we say can hurt And they can hurt deeply. You know, children have that little saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Words can hurt, and they can hurt worse than sticks and stones. And sometimes your words can hurt somebody to the place that it takes them a lifetime to get over it. You see, we ought to tame the terrible tongue because it's diabolical, it's evil outwardly. But listen to this. We ought to tame the terrible tongue because it's evil inwardly. It's diabolical inwardly. You see, the things you say don't only hurt the people in your life, but your words and your speech can hurt you. We often, again, think about the pain and the suffering we cause to other people by the things we say. It's, it's like the lady that was really, really sick and she didn't know what was going on, so she went to her doctor and he performed an examination, did a couple of tests and walked back into her room and said, Ma'am, I hate to tell you this, but, but you have rabies. And she pulled out a piece of paper and she started writing down. He said, now ma'am, you don't have to write down everything that I say. I'm going to give you a report and you'll know exactly what you need to do to treat yourself and the medicines that you need to take. And she stopped him and she said, no doctor, I'm not writing down your words. I'm making a list of the people I want to go out and bite. (laughs) So sometimes, you know, we only think about what we can do with our words as we aim them toward other people, but we really need to understand that our words can hurt us. Notice again, according to verse 6, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. Now here's what we know about unrighteousness, about evilness, about sin. Sin has defiled the whole world, right? You know, everything that we experience that's harsh and ugly and bad in life is because that sin entered the world. And just as sin has corrupted and polluted this whole planet from one end to absolutely the other end, the tongue can corrupt and pollute you. It can defile your whole body. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what Jesus says. In the book of Matthew, in chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what? It's what comes out of the mouth 
that defiles a person. The ugly things you say, listen to me closely, don't just hurt somebody else, but the ugly things that you and I say, it deeply hurts us. It defiles us. Have you ever got to know someone just superficially? Maybe that person was a good-looking person. You know, they they took care of their appearance and uh, ironed their clothes and brushed their hair and all those kinds of things. And you thought, well, you know, that that is a well-put-together person. And then all of a sudden, he or she begins to open up their mouths. And you find out that that person actually is a defiled person because of the things that they say. So why should we do it? Why should we care to tame the terrible tongue? Because it hurts people. It's diabolical outwardly. It's diabolical inwardly. And we ought to try to tame the terrible tongue because not only is it diabolical, but it's hypocritical. If you say you're a believer, if you say you follow the Lord Jesus Christ and your tongue is untamed, then it makes a hypocrite out of you. I want you to notice what James writes about toward the end of this passage. In verse 9, he talks about the fact that with our tongues we bless the Lord, the Father, and then we curse people that are made in the image of God. Imagine that. Then he talks about in verse 10 that, that from the same mouth we'll bless at one moment and then curse at the other moment. And James just sounds like my mama here. He just says, it ought not be like that. That is not the way it should be. Notice the illustrations that he uses in verses 11 and 12. He talks about a spring. And is there any way that a spring can pour out fresh water and at the same time putrid water, bitter water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs, he asks. And then he says a salt pond can't yield fresh water. In other words, here's what James is saying. If you stand and preach in a pulpit on a Sunday but curse people on Monday, you're a hypocrite. If you teach a Sunday school lesson on a Sunday and then you go out on Monday and you begin to say rude and unkind things and don't watch what you say, you're a hypocrite. If you teach the youth group during the week and then the next day you're out and you're swearing and you're saying things that are unbecoming of a child of God, James says at that point you're a hypocrite. And he says these things ought not be so. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. He says, let there be no filthiness. You see, some people wonder if it's a sin to say ugly words, and I want to tell you tonight it is. Because the Bible says, let no filthiness or foolish talk, or crude joking. It's a sin to tell dirty jokes, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. In other words, foul language, backbiting, gossip, slander, dirty jokes, put those things away. Because... If you try to portend a testimony of living for the Lord and being a part of His church and you go out into the world around you and your speech is just all over the place with nasty, crude, vile things, then you're a hypocrite and you're hurting the cause of Christ and you're hurting your church. Years ago... I heard one of the greatest sermon illustrations I've ever heard in my life, and it was by a missionary. I I was a student up at the seminary in Louisville, 
And one of our missionaries came and spoke in one of the chapel services, and he was talking about things that we ought to put out of our life. And he, he told the story that when he was a young missionary and first went to Namibia, Africa, that he watched as people there did things that were okay in their culture, but were questionable in the way that he had been brought up. And he said he watched with amazement that when some of the Africans there would sneeze and need to clean their noses, they would take their left hand, you know, the left hand in that culture is for taking care of bodily issues, and they would wipe their nose with the left hand and rub it on the sole of their feet. And so when they would walk, you know, it would be ground into the ground, etc. And he said... Of course, I didn't let on like that was interesting to me because I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I couldn't help but to be bewildered and a little amazed when I saw them do that. And then he said this, he said, I'd been there for a couple of months and the vegetation was really starting to grow and I have a lot of allergies and so when I would be out and preaching under some of those tree churches and out in the bush and my allergies would get worked up, I would reach down into my pocket and pull out my hanky and I would wipe my nose, fold it back, and I would put it in my pocket. He said, but there was this one day when I did it and my interpreter looked at me. I pulled it out. I'd wipe my nose, I'd folded it up, and I put it down in my pocket, and he looked at me with such disgust. And he said this, my interpreter asked me this question. He pointed at my pocket where I'd put my used hanky, and he simply asked me, Sir, are you really going to keep that stuff? Now listen. Rude language, speaking harshly to people, swearing, writing things, tweeting things, Facebooking things that we ought not put out there are those things that we really want to keep. No. Because when we keep those things... We're hypocritical. And that's not who we want to be. Right, church? It's not who we want to be. So why should we tame the terrible tongue? Well, it's diabolical outwardly. It's diabolical inwardly. And frankly, it's hypocritical. And so we need to tame the terrible tongue. As we wrap up tonight, we have to ask the second question, though. How? We understand why we need to because an untamed tongue does so much damage outwardly and inwardly. But how do we do it? Well, when you read the book of James, it looks mighty hard (laughs) because I want you to see that James gives us some bad news in verse 7 in the first part of verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea, all those things, they are tamed and has been tamed of mankind. But look what he says at the first part of verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. Huh. Now think about that. I'm sure that you, like I, have, have been to zoos and circuses and all of those things, and you've seen how wild animals have been tamed, and it's pretty interesting to watch sometimes. Um, years ago, when I was doing doctoral work at the seminary down in New Orleans, I would go down there for my classes, my seminars, and then usually toward the end of the week, we would have a little bit of free time, and being in New Orleans, you'd go out to the French Quarter Uh, to eat in one of those restaurants and that kind of thing. And I remember one day down 
on Decatur Street. I was walking, and those of you that have been down that area, you know, you, you can see all kinds of things. Some things that you don't want to see, but you see interesting things, and you hear that jazz music out on the street. It's, it's an interesting experience, but I saw something one day that I'll never forget. As long as I live, I will never forget this. There was a guy there who had a dog, a cat, and a mouse. And he had trained that dog to lie there completely still on the sidewalk while a cat was lying on that dog's back, completely still. And a mouse he had trained to lie on the cat's back. Dog, cat, mouse. And I first looked at that and I thought, those are stuffed, you know? And then I got a little closer and a couple of them moved. And I'm like, wow, they're real. And I stood there and talked to that guy and he began to explain to me how He had trained the dog to lie still as the cat was on its back and the mouse was on its back. It doesn't take a whole lot to impress me. I was big time impressed. But what James writes here is absolutely true. It's not a new thing. You know, people didn't just start training animals last week or even last year. But 2,000 years ago when James wrote this, they were doing it. And so James writes, and he says, it's an amazing thing how mankind has learned to train all these animals, and then he drops the bomb in verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And I read that. And I think, James, can you give a brother or a sister a break? I mean, you, you've told us that we're immature spiritually if we don't tame the tongue. You've told us that the tongue is evil, it's a fire, it's a poison. You, you have waded deep, James. And then all of a sudden he says, you can't do it. <laughs> You can't tame your tongue. And here's what he's saying. You can no more tame your tongue than you can save your soul. You can't save your soul. I don't care how good you are, how much you give, how beautifully you sing, how eloquently you preach, you cannot save your soul. Only God can. And you cannot tame your tongue Only God can. That's the point. Some of us need to take our tongues to the Lord and surrender our tongues and say, God, my tongue, you know it's out of control, but I need you to tame it for me. I need you to help me with this matter in my life because I can't do it on my own. Lord, Would you tame the tongue? And he can. And he will. There's hope for our terrible tongues. Amen? There's hope. It's not like the lady that came an invitation one time and said, Preacher, I've come today to lay my tongue on the altar. And he says, Ma'am, I'm sorry. Our altar's only 25 feet long. No, it's not like that. If you surrender your tongue to the Lord, while you can't tame it, He will. Let me give you two verses and I'm done. 1 Peter 3.10, Whoever desires to love life, see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. One more, Psalm 141 verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, Keep watch over the doors of my lips. And beloved, some of us might ought to just pray that prayer tonight. Lord, set a guard over the doors of my lips. 
I have trouble with gossip. I have trouble with saying things I ought not say. I have trouble with offending people with my words. And Lord, I'm just giving it to you tonight. I've tried and there's not really anything I can do about it. But Lord, my tongue, my mouth, my speech is yours. Do you need to pray a prayer like that tonight? If you do, let me just tell you, you're in good company because Brother Allen has to pray that prayer a whole lot. I have to pray it often. God, rule over my tongue. Rule over my speech. Because if I let it get out of control, I hurt people in my life. And that's not the kind of person that I want to be. Would you stand with me tonight and bow your heads? We're going to sing together in just a moment a hymn of invitation. Somebody may need to come forward and get on your knees before the Lord. Others may just need to find the altar of your heart right there where you stand and take this issue to the Lord. But let's all make a deal with one another that we're going to take our speech, our words, the way we express ourselves, both orally and in writing. We're just going to take that, knowing that we can't rule it, but God can. We're just going to take it and give it to Him. Father, thank You that You are a God who saves. So, Father, You do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so, Father, James says that we can't tame our tongues, but we know that You can. And so, Father, let me be the first to pray tonight and confess to You that sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. Sometimes I hurt the people in my life by saying things I ought not say. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. I confess it to you. And I turn over my speech to you. And Father, if there are other brothers and sisters that ought to do the same tonight, I pray you would give the courage and that we would give this oh-so-important area of our lives completely and totally over to you. I ask it in Jesus' name, and amen. As we